What we need to do is be able to better find which of all of those credentials actually have value in the labor market and then make that information available to the students and the workers to make better decisions. Welcome to Reality Check, a weekly podcast about anything and everything having to do with education. I'm Jeannie Allen, founder and CEO of the Center for Education Reform. We chose the name Reality Check because a lot of what you read about education these days is often wrong or misleading. If you want to know what's really going on in American education, from K through career, you're going to need a Reality Check. Welcome to another edition of Reality Check. I'm Jeannie Allen. Scott Cheney is my guest today. He's the executive director of Credential Engine, an organization dedicated to bringing transparency to credentials and demystifying the vast marketplace of credentials available to students and workers. He and Credential Engine are filling a truly unique niche in American education and employment, and particularly timely today in this day and age of the dreadful coronavirus. And his efforts are one that will benefit workers, currently do potential workers and employers. Scott, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So I want you to just frame the work that you do for people. Credential Engine sounds fabulous, but probably most people are out there going, what do you mean by credential, Scott? Sure. Um, So the, the world of credentials is bigger than most people realize. Um, we use a very broad umbrella term to include everything that is intended to convey value in the marketplace. So value for further education, for employment, for um, pursuing a license or a certification. We include everything from a diploma to degrees, certificates, apprenticeships, badges, licenses, certifications, anything that we as as workers and students think is going to help dedicate or demonstrate what we know and what we can do. And who validates those credentials? Someone might say, like, who gave you boss, like permission to be boss? Like, where does that come from? Because I think most people, myself included, if I was not involved in education on a day-to-day basis, would think that there's someone out there or some entity or a creditor in the case of you know, a lot of a lot of programs that tells you what's expected. Are you just taking what already exists and adding um, a validation to it, or have you created the credentials based on industry requirements and standards? Yeah, great question, and and honestly, is one of the the general questions we first get. So, um, let me give you an analogy that I think will help explain it, and then I'll give you some details. So, today, when most people travel. They will pull up their computer or their iPhone and they'll look on Expedia or Travelocity or Kayak and they'll look to get information about what's out there for hotels, airlines, restaurants, whatever it may be. Kayak and Expedia didn't create Marriott. They didn't create the restaurant down the street and they certainly didn't create the airline seat that you're looking to buy. What they do is they aggregate the existing information about all of that and present it to you in user-friendly ways. Underneath all of that is a data level that allows all of them to know that this is the United Airlines with this flight going from DC to Phoenix and the tickets cost $250. We're doing the same thing. We're looking across this entire landscape of credentials and we're simply saying they exist. They are being offered by Purdue. They're being offered by the Maryland public schools. 
they're being offered by MIT or a state licensing body. But what you don't have is the ability to compare them all and the ability to have them all in one place so that a user can search them all and decide which one is best for them. So we don't actually do the validation. That is left to accreditors or reviewers or other bodies that, that are set up to do that job. We're making sure that the user can search across all of that information in usable ways to make more informed decisions for themselves. And there's something like over 720,000 of these credentials? Yeah, it's a crazy number. Um, our most recent report last year identified at least 738,000 unique credentials. And we get to that number a few different ways. One is we count all the diplomas, all the degrees that exist out there, all the apprenticeships and all the licenses. But we also count all of the certificates that companies issue for their workers. So Microsoft issues a lot of certificates to become trained and certified in Microsoft Word. Salesforce does the same thing if you're using a Salesforce platform and you want to be certified in knowing how to use it. All of those are in the marketplace and people benefit from having them. So we count that entire universe and come up with 738,000. And how does one utilize Credential Engine so they are able, like in my case, I'm sitting here, I want to figure out a way to secure a new job. Perhaps I want to build on some uh, credibility that I have as a student. How would I use you and your company to help me or my family? Right. So um, we are still relatively early in our work. And we're still in the process of gathering all this information and working with institutions and states and, and other providers to have the data be available. But ultimately, and, and this is starting right now, the average user is not going to come to Credential Engine. They're going to go to, and let's go back to the example, Expedia or Kayak or Travelocity. You're going to have a lot of different companies and vendors that are creating tools that use our data and put it in front of users, whether it's a veteran or a, a high school junior thinking about the pathway they should be on, or the laid off worker who right now with Corona is realizing that their retail job or their hospitality job is going away and they're now looking in the marketplace. So there'll be tools developed. Google actually has a pathway tool that uses our data and, and they have one in Indiana and one in Washington state that are using our data as customer-facing tools, but people don't come to us. They come to another user, another vendor that's using our data. And I, like the, I love the example of the veterans, for example, and maybe there'll be a whole new institution that crops up to help people because of the deficiencies and the challenges created by um, this virus. But you can see a Veterans Bureau, you showing up as a vet and saying, you know, how do I get into Right. You know, the nursing industry, how do I decide to get into business? How do I go into real estate? Um, and then they would then use this data set, as you said, to guide them, which saves so much time, right? They, uh, can, they can use the data or the employer. Let's imagine the employer looks at a veteran and says, oh, I see you got this training, but I don't know exactly what you learned as the skills and competencies that meet what I really need. So this data will reveal not just that you got a, a medic, um, but what were you taught as a medic in the Navy? 
And it turns out that medics in the Navy or the Army learn slightly different things than EMTs in the civilian workforce. So by knowing exactly those differences, you know what has to be filled in order to have a medic be licensable in a state to be an EMT. So it, it allows you, anyone, the veteran, the employer at the Minnesota Fire Department, or the educator that knows what they have to teach to fill those gaps, you can see all that information through this tool. And I wonder if you also address in the work this notion, my friend Deborah Quazzo once brought this up, I'm sure a million people have used it, stackable credentials. Yes. Right. That there's this notion that we are we are going toward a day and age when you present yourself as a composite of a portfolio of things. Yes. And those stackable credentials allow credential engine to hire me or allow myself to get hired by Montgomery County Public Schools or the government. Right. How would that work if someone had access to all of this data and resources? So, so our systems, and, and we call it a descriptive language, uh, which is the common language that underlies all of these credentials, allow for the description of how one credential connects to another. It could be a prerequisite. It could be related. It could be stackable. Any number of these different relationships can be described in our language. You could then imagine how you could describe how, and, and we're doing this right now with some partners in Texas and Goodwill, how does a badge that is offered lead to a certificate offered at a community college, lead to a two-year degree, lead to a four-year degree, and how does all of that line up so that it is a pathway to the job that Goodwill is offering right now? And if you have all of those pieces of information, what the badge offers what the degree offers, what the job needs. Anytime that job changes, you can see actually how the pathway goes off kilter. Because the job requirements, the skill requirements are different than what's being offered here and here and here. And you can signal that electronically in real time so that you can either raise the offerings or somehow adjust the job offerings so that you get that connection better made. All of that is the concept of stackability, connections, pathways, that are real in everyday life, we just lack the real-time mechanisms to show those to students and employers. Yeah, all we have is a resume, right? And we have a resume which is flat and yes. doesn't tell a story. And you yep. can infer a story. Oh, you only spent two months there. Oh, why did you leave? You had a great job. You spent five years there. Oh, that education. But it doesn't really build up in a way that presents <coughs> you to a, a, a real live you know, place that's going to help you grow your talent. Right. So you may have been following, there's some great work being done um, out of the White House right now around interoperable learning records that are essentially, think of digital health records that include everything from your vaccine shots to your last medical checkup to, you know, the, the review they did of some test results that came back. Interoperable learning records are the same idea. It's a digital portfolio of your high school experience, your work-based experience when you did an internship, the, the on-the-job training you got, your desire to go back and get a two-year degree. All of those can live in this same record that you can then decide how you share and when you share, but it is that collective, ongoing, living depiction of your skills in the marketplace. How do you fit into this whole discussion about the 75 million 
uh, people out there that don't have any post-secondary credential. You know, that's a number that comes out of Strata's research a lot. And there are a lot of people who are, again, walking around with some pieces of education and then some obviously experience from work, always thought, Scott, if there was some way to true it all up, right? Instead of Mm -hmm. saying like, all these kids are out there, all these adults, and they've never really completed something, you kind of had to come on, come on, I want to come over here. Let's, let's take a look at it. Let's make sure we, we put you out into the market where you're at somewhere, like you, you have a place, because we're still in this very weird netherworld. We all know that higher education is essential to going anywhere, but higher education could mean anything. It doesn't necessarily mean four year, two year, six year. It just means you need something to help you get to the next level. Right. But we are very consumed, um, and for good reasons, it's not a bad thing, with it's got to be college or nothing. And I'm one of those people like, I want, I want it all. I want not just, I want yes and. I don't want to tell anyone that they shouldn't continue down a path of getting a college degree because it does, it is a signal still. At the same time, if four, why four years? Why three years? Why two years? Why couldn't it be that you do it over the course of 20 years? Maybe you do it in two. Maybe you do it when you're a 10th grader. I don't know. But the, but the point is we're so confined to this notion of a four-year residential college and that gets people angry. I loved it. I wanted my kids to have it. I want everyone to have access but I also don't want people to be penalized because they chose a different route or feel guilty that they are not good enough. So, so you touched on a lot there and, and let me, let me, let me uh, respond to a few different points. One, this is why I think the work that Lumina foundation, which has been one of our funders, uh, one of our founders is, is so important because they rightly recognize the focus should be on post-secondary, high-quality post-secondary credentials. And and our challenge, and one of the reasons we exist, is to help bring the information forward to determine which of these are high-quality. Let's be honest. There are probably not more than a handful of two- and four-year degrees that are poor quality, that you go to it and then you realize, I don't have anything that's marketable. I need to go back and now get some occupational-specific training to be able to get a job. And there's a lot of other credentials, whether it be certificates or or badges that don't lead to anything. But what we need to do is be able to better find which of all of those credentials actually have value in the labor market and then make that information available to those students and the workers to make better decisions, but also be able to help employers. And, And one of the reasons that we have this focus on, on, well, there's a lot of reasons we have a focus on the higher education, the college um, outcome, but we haven't known how to value really well what is less than college. And Mm -hmm. so when an employer is stuck, and cybersecurity is a great example, when an employer is stuck in describing the competencies and skills that they really need for cyber or IT, they default and say, "Ah, it should be a four-year degree, maybe with five years of experience. When instead, what they're really looking for are people that can do X, Y, and Z really well. Right. And maybe you got it through a Microsoft certification and two years of experience at J.P. Morgan Chase, and and you are highly qualified, but you never went to a four-year program. So let's be better at being able to identify which credentials, regardless of the type or the level, 
deliver the kind of education and training we need with the competencies and skills that meet employer requirements and value those and value the people that have them as opposed to just the time sitting in a seat at a major institution. And that could work the other way too, right? In other words, employers could be saying, because you're stimulating this discussion, it turns out that's not what we thought we needed in a program manager or in a director of sales or something. We want this, so go help us find what it is the student or the employee has to come with. So one of our other founders um, was the Business Roundtable, and Wes Bush, who was the CEO of Northrop Grumman at the time, speaks very eloquently about the reason he as the CEO wanted to see us in existence is because he knows that he can go find great engineers at MIT, Stanford, Carnegie Mellon, but what he needs to know is how to diversify the thinking of engineers in, in Northrop. So by identifying the exact competencies that he needs for a great engineer, he can then do that as a search mechanism to go out to all providers and say, which one of you are providing these skills and competencies, regardless of who you are, where you're located, or what you call the credential you issue. If you're teaching those skills and competencies, I want to talk to you. Because I may find the next great engineer from the University of West Texas that we've never recruited from before, but lo and behold, they have, they're teaching the skills we need. Let's go talk to them and maybe have some diversity of thinking inside Northrop, which will make us a better company. I just love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Are you finding that the business community is um, much more open to this in general uh, than they used to be? The business community is, is very, very eager for us to get to the point where we have enough credentials and competencies described in our systems that they can really be using it. SAP, Indeed, Workday, um, they're all eager to see the point come when we have enough information that they can be building into their tools that will actually sit on employers' desks. We're, We're about two and a half years old now, and we're still in the process of gathering these 730,000 credentials. Um, but when the time comes that we have them, or at least a sufficient number, that you can see these being used in those kind of tools, businesses are clamoring for it. That's great. And do you see an impact? You know, you worked as a policy director for Senator Patty Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, congratulations and thank you for your service. Um, all fun. How do you see this affecting policy, Scott? Is there is there something that those folks on the Hill and the departments and everywhere else need to know about this? And, and how can they help stimulate uh, this new move, if you will? Yeah, we, uh, in the preface for our latest report, um, former Governor Bush and uh, former Secretary Arnie Duncan uh, did a foreword for us, and, and they laid out just how essential it is that we refer to as credential transparency. Again, full access to all the necessary information about all these credentials that it is so important for an efficient marketplace. It's so important for workers and students to be able to pick the right credentials to avoid debt and and misplaced investments. It's so important for employers to be able to find the right people that we don't have a minute to waste. So we do have a lot of interest from uh, the departments of labor and and education, from the White House. We're, uh, We're talking to members of Congress about appropriate 
uh, inclusion of this kind of a concept in a higher ed reauthorization. Um, and then we're also working a lot with states. We currently have a partnership with the National Governors Association, Conference of State Legislators, Education Commission of the States, CCSSO, SHEO, and Data Quality Campaign, where we're having a joint focus on helping states put in place the right policies to make sure that credential transparency is a reality for their citizens of their states. Um, and we're really excited to be working on policy at both the federal and the state level. Yeah, and I, that's fantastic. And I would think what that states and local communities um, could also stimulate a lot of activity and recognition on the part of colleges, community colleges, technical schools, and not only recognizing the credentials, spurring people, exciting them. I was reading your history. I know you've had a lot of um, involvement. This is sort of on the same topic, but that, that policy piece is essential, right? Because First of all, even if it doesn't have to be a law for this to happen, and it doesn't. This is business. This is market. This is the wonderful thing about the U.S. We can stimulate what you need and people will follow it. But you still need that imprimatur from the feds or from states saying, yes, this works. It's great. We, you know, we, we think it's terrific. I also could see and would want to see a day and age when maybe a university or community college would say, I'm going to accept that credential as your freshman year. Or this is going to substitute for, I don't know, your coursework in basics or engineering or something, right? right? Yep. And, you know, there's there's a lot of work that's been done by uh, organizations like the American Council on Education, where they will help determine credit equivalency for prior learning or for competencies that you've earned through a job. And it's quite possible that we'll get to the point where Somebody has done so much good work, whether it's in their high school years or whether it's in their from age 20 to 25, that a college or a university can look at that and say, you have earned the equivalent of our freshman year. Um, and and that is, that's very real. There are obviously financial implications of that. And in a day and age when universities, a lot of them are struggling financially, we have to make sure that they don't go under by missing out on a year of, of funding. But there are ways to solve that and to make the, the marketplace much more efficient. What do you think of what's happening, you know, in the current COVID-19 quarantine situation? You know, it's really shown the spotlight on kind of home learning, distance learning. Can you think of any credentials that are specific to that, that we could be helping amplify? I mean, the fact that kids are coming home, they're not going to be able to finish their college years. I'm just reading about um, their interpreting Department of Education guidance. I'm not sure this is true. We're trying to get to the bottom of it, um, but it's being written up in the newspapers. Is anyone doing online, at least in K-12, won't count? I right. suspect colleges are grappling with that, too. How do you know you're the one taking the course or whatever? How could maybe credential engines, data source, and, and might help this? Well, you know, there is a lot more being done online, and, and I think the the biggest area of growth is going to be online, at least for post-secondary, as you see Western governors or ASU or Southern New Hampshire really picking up their footprint. The same is probably true in, in K-12. And I think the, the, critical, the critical issue here is allowing those people who have to make the determination of whether something a sixth grader, a 10th grader, or a college junior takes is of quality and meets the requirements for whether it's the school district or the university, 
they have to be able to see enough information instantaneously to know whether it counts. And, and a student or a parent should be able to see the same information long before they enroll their student in it or spend the time to take it to know, is this of quality and will the DC public schools accept it if we go and do that? That can be done by having transparency about what the offerings are out there and building in the mechanisms to allow DC to review, and this could have been done over the last couple of weeks, to review all the offerings that they can lay their hands on and signal to the parents, this bucket we're gonna accept, this bucket we're not, because of quality of the curriculum, because of the competencies, the rigor, the assessments, and we know that the company offering it has the data systems to track that Scott was actually the one that took it and not some bot out of Russia. So that can all be done. That's a great point. And it's going to be more and more the norm. So we better get the systems in place to, to, to understand that marketplace faster. And when you're, I love that. And, and you're right, we could have been doing that these last couple of weeks. We still can do it mm-hmm. because there shouldn't be any ambiguity around the fact that if students and, and adults, frankly, are working towards something, that there should be some recognition for that right. work. If it, if, if it is exactly transparent. So what is transparency though, really? Tell, tell our listeners here, Scott Cheney from Credential Engine, what transparency means in terms of this work? So we think of transparency as, you know, in the short of it, um, if I am a purchaser of a credential, a parent, a business, a student, a veteran, and I need to know everything that's going to help me make a decision. And and it could be the cost. It could be the labor market outcomes. It could be the the time it's available. It could be, is it stackable? Is there an employer who's at the end of this who has the needs for the skills that I'm about to go learn? Anything that that purchaser needs to know should be available in a public access uh, uh, means. So, um, there's lots of technicalities that we won't get into, but it should suffice to say Scott or Jeannie should be able to pull it up on their iPhone instantaneously and be able to answer the questions they have about, is this of quality and value to me? And, and if it's not, then I'm going to say that that credential is not fully transparent. Is there a holy grail of credentials, one that you really love and you think is like head and shoulders above the rest whether it's in terms of quality, whether it's in terms of um, relevance to today? So I, I, get the, I get the luxury of not answering that because I, I, I don't think there is. And, and I think one of the beauties about having a chance to look across this entire landscape is to be a little bit in awe of the incredible creativity of, of the players in this marketplace. From edX who are out creating really innovative courses in their partnership between MIT and Harvard, to the amazing work that IBM does internally, to what Western Governors is is blazing in terms of their online offerings, to the Khan Academy, to apprenticeships that are being offered in new sectors for workers that never would have applied and didn't want to go to college and are coming out with six-figure salaries and, and really in demand in the marketplace. Um, there is, there's also a lot of um, you know, chaff in the marketplace that we need to be careful of, but it really is remarkable just how 
uh, imaginative and innovative and focused on quality an awful lot of these different credentials are. So again, I go back to the point that not every path is the right path for every individual. And it may be that you get a phenomenal job with amazing output and outcomes um, from a certificate, a license, and an apprenticeship. And someone else needs that PhD because of what they want to do. And, and we shouldn't be pointing out one over another. We should be more focused on quality and outcomes and value. Right. Um, you've had uh, some other interesting experience. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about it and uh, talking about ex-offenders and re-entries into, into society. And I know I've talked to a number of people who work in and around helping particularly adjudicated youth, um, but those that are also sort of working up for adults in, in prison and correctional institutions. How, how can they think about um, this, this kind of tool? Well, if you have, um, you know, if, if you have the, the institutional leadership that, that recognizes that a valuable use of time while um, away from society is to actually have the opportunity to improve yourself and get credentials and get um, that value in the labor market so that when you, are, when you leave, you actually can become well-employed and, and be a, a productive member of society again. There are lots of opportunities for, for education and training and credentialing um, while incarcerated. And, you know, the previous administration introduced um, Pell programs for, for uh, individuals who are incarcerated, and, and it had, had early, really positive success. I think the, the issue is less, what are the credentials? The issue is more the philosophic leadership to allow education and training to happen the financing to make sure that it's not a burden on the institution to be doing that instead of other things, but make sure the resources are there. And then again, to make sure that that, that inmate, that, that adjudicated youth is able to understand why a particular offering is best for them, whether it is in a particular trade, a particular field, a particular institution offering it, um, we just need to use the same principle, whether you're in jail or in prison or, or not. So Scott, totally unrelated to Credential Engine, last question. Your first paycheck came from Dr. Seuss? <laughs> yeah, my, my first paycheck in this particular career path that's led me to where I am now, um, you know, not counting the lawn mowing jobs and the paper routes and things before that. Um, in San Diego, I was running a volunteer literacy program. And the leadership at the time, me, was also volunteer. And I decided that I loved the field enough that I wanted to figure out a way to get paid. And my board said, young man, if you can go get money in the door, we will pay you with that money to run this program. And so Dr. Seuss, Ted Geisel, um, was still alive, lived in La Jolla, just north of San Diego. He was very interested in youth literacy. And I wrote a proposal and convinced him that family literacy was a, a tremendous avenue to pursue because it worked with both the children and their parents at the same time. And they could learn to read together and support each other. And he loved the idea and wrote us a check that um, was my first paycheck in this, in this entire endeavor. That is a fantastic story, and I love how your early work and involvement with literacy kind of comes full circle 
to credential engine, which really is about literacy. It's about allowing and ensuring that people have um, complete access uh, to all they need um, to be productive. So the, thank you. The third pillar of our mission statement is actually in increasing credential literacy because people need to be able to make smarter decisions. That is so smart. And I am so grateful that you've shared that with us today on Reality Check. Our guest today has been Scott Cheney, Executive Director of a major company filling a unique role in American education and employment, helping students, aspiring workers, and current workers advance through over 700,000 uh, work-related credentials that are currently available. Scott, thanks so much for joining me today in Reality Check during this time of the crazy COVID-19. I hope you and yours are safe and that you'll come back and visit with us under uh, more normal circumstances someday. I look forward to the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this edition of Reality Check. You can subscribe to Reality Check at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in and never miss an episode. Visit us online at edreform.com and follow CER on Twitter at edreform and me, Jeannie Allen. I look forward to exploring the world of education with you and another prominent guest next time. See you then.